Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking nucks? What the fuckstables? What the fuckadelics? What the fucking fucks? What the fucky pie Wall Streeters? I don't know. I don't know. I'm out in the garage. It's Mark Marin. This is WTF. I'm drinking coffee. It's a little late in the day for that at the time of this recording, but I am drinking it right. Oh, pow. Wow. I just shit my pants. Just coffee.coop. Why not? Why not throw that in at the beginning here? Why not throw in the fact that I'm going to be at the punchline in San Francisco tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday, November 3rd, through Saturday, November 5th, at the punchline in San Francisco. If you want to uh, be part of that, that would be sweet. Yeah, what a day we've got. You're wondering what's on the show? Are you wondering what's on the show today? What is this show about? Who is on this show? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, on the show, uh, I'm going to have this guy on the show. I used to make these jokes about I should, like, only develop scripts for uh, John Cusack. Right. Why? Because guys have such a mental block writing scripts for black guys. So if, like, there's one for John Cusack, the script would be done already. (laughs) (laughs) But then, like, and he'd write jokes and he didn't think anything about the fucking jokes. Oh, so he's saying that when a writer has in mind writing for a black guy, he's like, God, do I know the language? Yeah, it's all this bullshit. It's like, dude... What the fuck is different about my fucking life? <laughs> Nothing. Yep, that's right. If uh, It's not a hard voice to uh, to recognize. That was Chris Rock. Uh, he was talking to me in the elevator uh, uh, as we went up to his office. Uh, we had a very interesting talk. It's, uh, it's a, It was great to sit down with Chris for a couple of reasons. I was thrilled to talk to Chris. I've known Chris a long time. I had specific questions that I was curious about with Chris. And what I found heartwarming about it was that his memory of the people that were working primarily at the comic strip in New York when he was starting out. Now, if there's anything you can glean from this podcast outside of what comes from the conversations is that comedy is a community. The community of comedians is real and there are hundreds of us and we all cross paths or we almost cross paths around the world, across the country, you know, all the time. It, it, and it's been this way for years. This was a, a mind-blowing thing for me as I get older to really hear Chris talk about guys I haven't thought about in years, but guys I watched when I was a kid. Not, not on TV, when I was a kid starting in comedy. And I've recently been reading these articles uh, at the uh, WFMU blog. I think it's called the... Uh, WFMU's Beware of the Blog, there's this guy, Cliff Nesterhoff, who has been writing these amazing pieces about sort of the the grittier era of comedy in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, revolving around New York. But he recently wrote an article about a guy named Jack Roy and a guy named Joe Ansis. Now, the amazing thing about comedy, even at this time, even at the time in the 50s and the 40s, was there were hundreds of comics around. There were hundreds of comics hanging around, trying to get on TV, trying to get on radio, trying to get a gig. There were all these one-nighters and clubs and and little places you could go. The Borscht Belt was still sort of intact. But there was still a community 
of of wayward, awkward, angry, uh, you know, socially uh, retarded, funny guys hanging around trying to get stage time. Just like today in a lot of ways. In this last one, this last article he wrote called The Schleppers about Jack Roy and Joe Ansis as really being the fathers of modern comedy. Now, this is deep comedy nerd shit. I mean, this isn't just you know Mr. Show or Tim and Eric or even Monty Python. I mean, this is going back to the roots of what became modern stand-up. And if you read the article, what you'll learn is Joe Ansis, and, and some of you know this already, was Lenny Bruce's roommate. And some people think that Joe Ansis was actually the engine that drove Lenny Bruce. That Lenny Bruce was just this uh, sort of a Jewy mimic uh, with a good beat, a good rhythm, good pace. But Joe Ansis had this amazing intelligence uh, with his humor, and he was not really capable of getting on stage. Now, Joe Ansis and Jack Roy were best friends. Now, Jack Roy was this act, I think, in the 50s, maybe the late 40s, probably the 50s, that was just too angry to get on stage, too depressed, too dark, too fucked up to really get on stage. They used to get high together. They used to hang out, not unlike comics today. All these guys hung out, but, you know, pot wasn't around as much. But Jack Roy and Joe Ansis were buddies. Jack Roy quits comedy, and uh, and he... He goes into the aluminum siding business and him and Joe Ansis still hang out. They're both doing aluminum siding from the best I can tell, smoking reefer and still writing jokes because they stay in the game. So they started selling these jokes to all the cats who are hanging around New York at the time out of the back of their car in Jersey. I don't know why you would have to sell jokes out of the back of your car, but they had a briefcase, they had notebooks or whatever, but they were writing jokes and they sort of defined you know, that moment in comedy's history where it broke away from shtick and broke more into uh, you know, personal point of view stuff. Now, the interesting thing about this story, outside of Joe Ansis being the engine of Lenny Bruce, perhaps, is that Jack Roy couldn't stay out of the racket. He went, you know, was doing a woman inciting. He was out for like 10 years, and then he comes back, changes his name because he wants to go on stage again, and that is who Rodney Dangerfield is. Jack Roy became Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield, one of the greatest sort of unsung heroes of, of, of modern comedy. But the reason I'm going off on this is that I read these articles now and because of WTF and because of my relationship with so many comics and talking to so many comics, you realize you're part of this legacy. Yeah, I just emailed with Richard Lewis. I'm not dropping names. I sent him the article because you, know, you can see a direct chain. You can see a direct chain and, and a natural evolution of the community that is comics. And there's all kinds of guys that did comedy that nobody knows about. I don't know where they are, but there, there are hundreds of them. And, and I remember some of them, but these guys have always been there. And the gr one of the great things about talking to Chris was that yeah, he brought up these guys. And, and these guys are at the front of his brain still. And they're at the front of Eddie Murphy's brain. And they're in front of all of our brains. You know, whatever happened to that guy? I mean, I've lived in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston. I've seen, you know, three or four, obviously four, different scenes, you know, different points in my career. And I remember so many guys. And we're all part of this. And it's pretty exciting. It, it can be sad. It can be frustrating. It's a little heartbreaking sometimes. But we're all part of this amazing community that is comedians. And it's been that way for generations. I highly recommend reading those pieces. And I highly recommend right now listening to me and Chris uh, at his office in New York City just a few days ago. One of my first memories of you is actually when I was a doorman at the Comedy Store, 1987. God damn. 
you pulled up. It wasn't a Corvette, dude. It was like a Dusseldorf. Yes, it was Richie Tinkin's car. Richie Tinkin was, um, had a cocaine problem at the time. And uh, he was just, it was like I was supposed to just drop him off. Uh-huh. And uh, he was just so fucked up that weekend <laughs> so it was that it. I ended up with the I ended up with the car for like three four days. Really? Yeah. Oh, I did, I see. I thought for some reason in my mind at that moment I'm like, is that who's is that Eddie Murphy's car? No, it was Richie Tinkins. Who the hell's Richie Tinkins? Richie Tinkins was Eddie Murphy's manager and okay. owner of the comic strip. Right. And uh, yeah, and it it's one of those weird things that car that incident incident. A lot of comics didn't like me back then. Well, I think the assumption was... And I think was, me pulling up in that car, like that was my car. Well, I think there was also that. There was just, or there was also sort of like, you know, whose car is that? Is that is he on the payroll? I mean, is, yeah, it was, is he being taken care of? Yeah, it was... It, yeah. Not that, it's not the story. No, no, but I, 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 I definitely remember... The stink eye? I definitely remember <laughs> the stink eye from a lot of guys... Well, I mean, then. what was that? So that was 87, so you'd only been in it for, what, three years? I was probably in it like three years, something like that, yeah. Well, how did that happen? I mean, how, what was, because uh, I remember when I started doing stand-up in New York, there was always that newspaper article of you in the comic strip, like, you know, 12-year-old Chris Rock. He was just sitting there, and I always looked at it, and I thought, like, you know, how the fuck does a guy start that young, and where did he, how did that happen? What was the excitement? I mean, three years in, usually people haven't gotten any shit together. And you're I already. I back. didn't have shit to get. I mean, I could figure out a set. You had Richie Tinkins' car. I had Richie Tinkins' <laughs> car. Eddie Murphy thought I was funny. Yeah. You know, but um, you know, it's still. I probably didn't get SNL till ten years after that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so. What was it? Where'd you come from? And in, in terms of how'd you decide to do stand up initially? Um, the stand up initially was. Um, I just always, I always loved stand up. So always, you know. Cosby, you know, the whole thing and Pryor and all that stuff. But Murphy, being from Brooklyn, being... People forget Murphy's like the first real young comic. Yeah. And I mean that in the sense that like most young comics wore suits and fucking sweaters and yeah. tried to be grown men. Right. <laughs> and Murphy's like, like he, was try, he didn't try to be a... You know what I mean? Yeah. He tried to... He was actor's age. So that was, I mean, even when I think of Jerry Seinfeld, not until he got on his sitcom did he decide to be the man boy. Early on, you know, he's got the blazer on, he's trying to be, that was every, every comic. We all tried to be fucking 45 and smoke a pipe. Right. All, <laughs> but when all. you saw Murphy outside of just being, because you what, did you go, you're like in high school. I mean, you started when yeah. you were in high school. Yeah. So Murphy to me was like. And you saw him live. Is that where you first? No, experienced just saw him on SNL. Yeah. SNL and Delirious and all that stuff. But to me, he had he was connected to you know like Curtis Blow and right, all right. this rap shit going yeah. on in the Bronx right. and all like he he had something to do with all of that. Even if he culturally. had culturally, culturally, right. So that's when I started thinking, well, maybe I'll do some stand up. That's you know what I mean, like. Hey, yeah, that's a thing. And it was weird too. I'd already, I already had like a, I had a rap, I had a deal to do a rap record. Before you started stand up. Before I started stand up, I had like. Where did that come from? Did you? Rap? I made, I made demos. I yeah. rapped. I DJed before yeah. I did stand up. Like just pictures of me, and like <laughs> with, with, that with turntables with and high, and no. like I could. 
<laughs> so I had I even I had a I had like a deal with Atlantic or some subsidiary of mm-hmm. Atlantic Records to do a rap record. But I mean, I realized I couldn't rap, I couldn't sing. You know, now, by the way, if I'd known how much DJs made right now, I'd probably still be a DJ. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the DJ wasn't paying that much money, so the stand-up thing. I don't know, and I loved stand-up. I lo- I just loved it. I yeah. loved it. Just and at, when you first started, were you doing long form or were you just doing jokes? Or you don't remember just doing jokes. I didn't know any better. I mean, because I remember seeing you early on, and it's something like, it, however, your personality evolved over time. Like I, I'm sort of. It's interesting when you're trying material. The difference between you trying out material and doing material is vast. Oh, it's vast. <laughs> it is vast. And like when you were younger. You didn't like the the what became the Chris Rock persona. I don't think happened till what nineteen ninety four. Uh, yeah, you could say that. And and so like initially, you were like when I talk to you and I've run into you over the years. When you sit down with you one on one, you're 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 thoughtful and you know you, you think before you talk and sometimes you don't keep eye contact. And then when you get on stage, it's like yeah. Obviously, you got, in some respects, you, you got taken for a ride before you were ready to go for a ride. I definitely got taken for a ride before I was ready to go for a ride. So what happened with Murphy, and why were you driving Ken Tinkin's car? I was driving Tinkin's car. I, was, I mean, this, people, people have heard this story before. I'm at the comic strip one night, and um, Eddie Murphy is there. And basically, there were no black comics on the bill. And, it, and Lucian ended I wasn't even, I don't even think I was a regular at the time. Well, you were what, 18, 19? Probably 19, 20. Yeah. And I was stacking up chairs. That yeah. was my thing. Me and a guy, Mark Rader, yeah. died of cancer. Uh, so stack chairs after the second show yeah. to get stage time. So that way we could do late night. And so I would get there early. Though. I would watch all the comics. And uh, kids today, Yeah. because so I'm, I'm that guy, right? What happens uh, if you kids live today? I'm like, I'm yeah. always telling guys, like, you guys don't watch. Like, when I go into clubs, like, everybody's hanging out outside and shit. When I was coming up, you we sat there. We fucking, wherever there was an empty seat, like, oh, when yeah. the place got packed, we got almost pissed because that meant yeah. some people had to wait outside. Yeah. Like, we watched every fucking body. Do you, you ever sit and think about how long you've spent watching insecure guys in front of brick walls? Dude, <laughs> I know so many people's acts. Yeah, I know fucking every jo- Dennis Wolfberg joke and every Joe Bolster joke and every uh, Gary Laser joke and Gary Laser, Mar- Mark Cohen and like yeah. Jack Cohen and like Jack all the- Cohen. <laughs> Everyone you mentioned, half the people who are listening, if not more, will be like, "Who the fuck is he talking about?" I know all these guys' jokes, man. I know their acts inside and out, and I know. Fred Stoller and Stu Trivax. Stu like. Trivax, <laughs> the orthodox guy with the bow tie. Yes, yes, yeah. Stu Trivax, the Sandy Koufax of stand-up. Yeah. Not going to work on Friday. Uh, yeah, and I watch all these guys. I just take it in, take it in, take it in, take it in. So anyway, I was there, and uh, Murphy, and I guess he'd seen his ninth, you know, fake Seinfeld guy. Yeah. <laughs> he calls it any black comics. <laughs> and... So, oh, we have Chris Rock, like lying because I was not supposed to be on the. You were a late night comic. Yeah, I was a late night comic, but you know, and they put me on, and I had a really good set for that point of my career. Right, and you know, he had, you know, this is not 
Dr. Doolittle Eddie Murphy. This is leather suit sure, yeah. Elvis Eddie Murphy. And he's weird because, like, I mean, I guess he started, like, I never knew him as a stand-up. Like, to me, when I first saw him, it was Saturday Night Live, and, and Delirious came he, later. Yeah. But I never knew him. He was a stand-up. But he was like, um, like, did you see him? Doing Balazzo gigs. Yeah, like, yeah. like, he for, was. Like, for real. I Just mean, I didn't know him as a stand-up, but the stand-ups I know know him as a stand-up. Right, you right. know. You know, Joey Vega tell you stories of being in a condo with Eddie Murphy. Fred, you know what's weird? Whenever, whenever I'm around Eddie, if I'm around him like a couple of days in a row, at some point he asks me about Fred Stoller. Because that's like one of the last guys he did a gig with. That's like the last vestige of like his old life. You could tell him that Fred's fairly accessible. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, what's Freddie Stoller doing? Like, you know, we're in his $50 million mansion. What's Fred Stoller? Because they did a gig together. I just talked to Fred. He's okay. He's all right. George Kalfa still working? You know, just. Really, that's fucking endearing, and I'm glad to hear that. No, you don't. I mean, these people are cemented in your. Of course they are. And and when you hear somebody dies or someone is in trouble that you haven't seen in 20 years, I'm like, like, how's Nancy Redmond? I want to know how Nancy Redmond. I just heard from Nancy Redmond. (laughs) I want to know how Nancy Redmond's doing. I did. I've done so many gigs with Nancy Redmond. She just Facebooked me. (laughs) Yeah, she came up on. I think she. I think she Facebooked me too. Nancy Redmond, uh, oh, Bob Gallup, you know, all these people. Gallup, I don't know what's happening with that guy. He's the one guy you're sort of like, what is going on what's with going Bob, on Bob Gallup? <laughs> yeah, I, like, I wonder if that guy's all right. You know. Okay, so Eddie sees you, and then, like, everything changes. And, you're three years I, in, for fuck's sake. I'm, like, three years in. I mean, and I got to hang out. I mean, you got to realize, too, he had, it was like Rolo Ali. He had, like, 12 people with him anyway. Is that a black thing? Not really. I mean, Sandler rolls like that. Does he? For, I mean, he does not with bodyguards, guards, but he has, you know. Because I always like, I got it in my mind that it's. No, nah, you know what it is? It's a. Celebrity thing? A fame? No, 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 no. It's um, I'd say lower middle class, whatever. It's a we're not rich thing. Oh, that's that's basically what in, it, in the sense that do you have hangers on, or in the sense? Yeah, because I mean, when you, when you really think about it, any blue collar white guy's got a pretty decent posse with him too. Right, but they're not the posse that says, could you go in first and make sure everything's okay in there? Yeah, I mean, they do that, too. They just right, don't. Right. It's just not as uh, pronounced. Yeah, the jobs aren't as defined. They're not as defined. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're the hair guy. You're the guy that yeah, gets the drinks. Shit. Yeah. KJ, shit. Kevin James got boys. You yeah, know, I know. It's, I know. It's not as... I'm just not that kind of guy, so it always baffles me. And I've been a satellite comic before. That's what Becker at the comedy store used to call him, the people that would hang around Dice or hang around Kennison. Yeah, Dice. Yeah. Come on. What yeah. the hell? Come on. Right. Dice. Yeah. Kennison. I guess that's no, right. I mean, but it's weird because I know the young comics listen to this. I always tell comics, they always ask me, you know, guys ask me questions. And I'm like, dude, you hang with too many people. You have to be alone. Yeah. You have to live in your head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I just see comics going to clubs like girls going to a fucking club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> too many people around. It's like, we're all going to the club. It's like, shut, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you got to go by yourself. You got to fucking take a drive. You got to listen to music. You got to fucking get in that zone. Think. You got to live in your... I'm going to take some bites of this food. You got to... Yeah, I mean, I live in my head too much, and you live in your head as well. I still live in my head. Did you go? But did you did you go to college or anything? I didn't, I didn't go to college. I, actually, I went. I did like a year of community college only because 
it was when I took my GED, it was at a community college. Right. So it's like, so it was like, to me, it was like an extension of, <laughs> of yeah. the GED. Right. But uh, nah, no, no real, I don't have a lot of schooling, Mark. Yeah. But you got an aggressive mind and you got a, you know, like an aggressive desire to learn. You're very smart Well, my smart father guy. drove a truck for the Daily News, New York Daily News. So there was always like a lot of newspapers in my house. Yeah. So, like, can you get me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Brandon, so I want to mess this up. Can you get me a, is there an iced tea in there? Not a diet, like a regular one. If not, just get me a water or something. Um, yeah, was there water there? Give me water. Oh, okay, I got water there. Okay. Um, all right, so you get hung up with the, well, you get, like, does he take you under his wing? I mean, that's sort of the question. I mean, where you, you no, have. No, I mean, it was like any big brother, like, relationship. It was like. With Eddie. Yeah, you just learn more from watching than anything. Yeah. It's not like, I mean, the thing I realized about Eddie, Eddie, even though he's, like, so much more famous than everybody. Yeah. He's only, like, five years older than me. Yeah. So, so there was a, a bond. It wasn't like some old dude who was like, it, uh, yeah, it wasn't like some old dude. And he's working on his own career. Yeah. Still. Yeah. You know, even then he was like, you know what I mean? In his mind. But he was very, um, you know, Eddie Murphy, you know, I can go down a list. Yeah. Uh, you know, Arsenio Hall show. You know, that's Eddie giving Arsenio break and letting Townsend direct Raw and, you know, coming to, you know, Coming up with I'm gonna get you sucker, yeah, Keenan, and yeah. like a lot of shit. So he was like the, uh, he was everybody's portal in all those black comics that were already banging their head against the wall in Hollywood. Yeah, so I mean he was a part of that community, and I didn't know any of those guys just being in New York, right? So that was that was really cool. Like you know I didn't know who are the black comics in New York. Um, Rondell Sheridan, nice guy, great yeah. guy, yeah. Um, Joyner, Joyner was a little more accomplished than me. Yeah. And, yeah, there wasn't, like, a lot of guys. Isn't that uh, weird? Mike be- Ivey. Mike, yeah. But but what's interesting to me is all the guys you're talking about have been banging their heads against the wall in, you know, in Los Angeles. But there's this entire other world of black comedy that I barely know about. And you got to realize, it was, the, it was a point in time where they wouldn't even put up two black acts within the same hour at a stand-up club. Why is that? The same reason they wouldn't put up two women. They would think this weird yeah. bullshit that... Yeah. So if Tracy, you know, if Joyner went on at 8 o'clock, I can't go on till 11 because we're obviously going to talk about the same shit and we're not. Yeah. We're not. And you think that still happens? I don't think it happens that much no more. I don't think it happens at all, really. Not in New York, anyway. Yeah. So I now... People you- know me and Tracy Morgan don't have the same act. You know what I mean? You never know what's going to happen with Tracy. You Morgan. never know <laughs> when you're in conversation with him or when he's on stage. He's the last madman. <laughs> he really is a madman. I mean, when they when they told me about when, when I heard about all that stuff that went down with what he said, in my mind, it's like he had no idea. That, that was not a plan. I mean, it, yeah, he was just speaking his mind, and it blew up in his face. It blew up in his face. But uh, do you think that when you met Eddie, did that stifle your career at, alongside of helping it? Because there was some point where you became a born-again stand-up and that, you know, it seemed like you were taken on this ride. And then after the ride ended, you were like, fuck, uh, I better focus on stand-up. Um, I mean, it made people see me too soon. Yeah. You can definitely be seen too soon. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. You can't really be seen too late. Right. But you can be seen too soon. Sometimes you just got to hope you'll be seen again. Yeah. <laughs> so it did that. But I'm, I mean, I don't look at it as a negative. I mean, yes, it put a bullseye on me and it made, put me under more scrutiny, I guess. But I got to see a lot of shit. I got to be out in L.A. I've never been to L.A. I never, yeah. I mean, I've never been on a plane, like, till I went out, till Murph took me out there. Um and I got to see him work. That's the thing. I got to see him do. I actually got to see him work off stage. I got to see him like get ready for the Raw tour. Yeah. Like so, I got I, you know it was like a, it was like the kid in Bronx Tale. Right. I got to like really sit around and fucking watch a superstar, a black superstar, fucking go about his business. And, and what'd that know, look like? It was amazing. I mean, you know, and some of the things I emulated and some of the things I'm like, okay, okay I'm going to stay away from that. Like what? Like, like what did you emulate? <laughs> what did I emulate? Because your work ethic is quoted. You know, I mean, I've got, you know, friends like Louie and there are people that, that they always quote you with little nuggets about work ethic, about generating material, about keeping busy. Like, you know, you are a worker. You're not a guy that sits around and says, like, you yeah, know, maybe I'll get another hour. I mean, you, you know, you somehow develop this hour a year ethic that very few of us can abide by. It's not a year. It's like an hour every three years. Okay. All right. All right. I haven't toured. Well, in, you better tell Louie. I haven't toured. Yeah, <laughs> Louie. I don't know what, I don't know what the fuck Louie's doing. I don't know. He's doing the hour a year plan. He's like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm like, take a rest. <laughs> he's doing everything. Pretty soon he's going to have his own studio to make what he wants to make. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. I love him. Mm -hmm. It's like, dude, six what? months off. Yeah, and he needs to. Months. I think he's got a fear of that. So you're with Eddie. You're like 19, 20 years old, and you're watching this guy, and you're making notes in your head like, I got to do that. Yeah, I'm watching him watch his – I'm watching him – one of my coolest memories is actually sitting you – know, first of all, you got to realize I watch Delirious every fucking day for years. You did as a kid. Yeah, and I'm sitting there watching him – Watch himself as he's getting ready for tour. So he puts in a tape, Eddie Murphy live from Hawaii. Not yeah. even, it wasn't even like some, a tape he shot. Stationary camera, like a Stationary, comic strip tape? Like a comic strip tape. Yeah. It, only, it's in front of, you know, 20,000 people. <laughs> right. In what's the Aloha Bowl? Like the same place Elvis shot the Hawaii special. Uh -huh. He shot Practice. a show there. Yeah. He shot a show there. With a white leather suit on, like with the same. <laughs> oh, really? He did that on purpose. Yeah. yeah. And watched him watch that and take notes and then watch him on stage getting ready for the Raw tour and just like. What was his joke construction process like? I mean, was he watching for beats? Because some of us, I mean, it's hard to watch yourself. I mean, was he watching? Did he, tr like, was he writing all his own material? He was writing all his own material, yeah. And did he have people around throwing shit in? People, you know, for tags. Yeah. But that's what friends are for, for tags. Right. That's right. It's only when you're not your friends, they go, I, I should get a writing credit for that tag. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, right. That's what comics do. It's like, yeah. hey, that thing you did. You I know? said something to you once, and I don't know if you remember it. Didn't you give me a tag, like, in the comedy store parking lot one night? Oh, maybe I did. Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what I it was. I can't remember what it was, but I remember talking to you in the, in the parking lot of the comic store, comedy store. Yep, yep. I, I can't remember what that was. It was... Uh, About uh, a particular joke. Yep, yep. You were working on something. That's what we do. Of course, know? of it's course. Like you got something. Hey, yep, you ever think yeah. of this? Yeah. Do what, did you ever think of that angle? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's You got to fill your head with something. So Eddie had those guys around, too. Yeah, he had some comics around. I might I might have got a line in. Who knows? Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but what was the primary lesson you learned? 
That you just had to work your ass but off? you got to fucking work it. I mean, like, <laughs> if this guy's the best I've ever seen, and, like, he's worried, and he's going to the fucking club, and he's going over shit, and he's got a list, and he's, like, you know. Yeah. He's meticulous about it. And... And what were the things you want, didn't want to emulate? Uh, well, I mean, people think there's this assumption that there's guys and there's walkie-talkies. Yeah. And yeah. Like, I, <laughs> You're I, not that guy. No, I'm like... <laughs> It's like, you know, I don't want this. I made that decision. Like, I don't really want all these people. Yeah, yeah. I don't really need a party. Yeah. So when you got SNL, how old were you then? I was probably about 25, 26. And that was a, that was a huge deal. That was, hey, that was a huge You're guy. following in your, your mentor's footsteps. And yes, I was. Me and Sam, I got it. Actually, he got caught as a writer. Yeah. We're both there. Tell the story. We're auditioning for SNL in Chicago. Yeah. Dana Gould is on the show. I just worked with him the other night. And hilarious. he's better than both of us. He's hilarious. He's hilarious. Yeah. And we were like, why the fuck are we here? Yeah. He was so funny. He was right. turning into people. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, what the? This guy is ridiculous. I always. Yeah. He's still good. Yeah. Yeah. Like Dana Gould. He could do characters. He's got he a fastball. Yeah. Really fast. <laughs> fast got... brain. Yeah. So you and Chandler. <laughs> so there. I can never talk about Saturday Night Live without going. Dana Gould was better than us that night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Lauren saw, didn't see. I don't know. But well, what was your experience with Lauren initially? I mean, was there that weird meeting? Is that weird meeting where they tell you to have the show, but they don't say it yeah. in case they want to change their mind the next day? Right. They don't want to be on record as saying we told you you had the fucking show. Yeah. No, I, mean, I loved it, man. I, I never got into the whole it's too competitive thing and. Well, you guys were sort of aligned. I mean, it was you and Spade and Sandler and Farley, right? Me, Spade, Sandler, Farley. And you were all stand-ups. I talked to Norm MacDonald recently, and he thought that there was definitely, uh, like, you guys felt that there was, you know, there were the guys that come from sketch, and then there are the guys that come from stand-up. And the stand-up sort of stuck together because they didn't do that shit. I mean, they had nothing against them, but they knew that what their strengths were on some level. The sketch people were more prepared to be on the show. Yeah. But the stand-up people are more prepared to write shit for the show. Right. Like, we yeah. fucking knew where jokes were. Yeah. You know, when you perform in, and I'm not dissing anybody that does, you know, sketch, but when you perform in, and I learned this from just doing a play, when you perform in a theater, there's appreciation just from performance that right. you never get in a comedy club. Right. <laughs> right. There's no listen. Like, it's either joke or not. Either right. the shit was funny or it wasn't. Right. So we, I think we had a, a tougher skin, but, you know, Inter who the fuck's funnier than Will Ferrell? So, that, that, <laughs> you know? yeah, That's true. You know? Yeah. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Now, when you, were, when you started to do the character roles, I mean, were, what was your confidence around I acting? didn't have confidence then. I didn't, because I don't, to this day, I don't really do characters. Right. I'm, you know. You're Chris Rock. I'm kind of me. Yeah. And... It took me a while to accept. I mean, only now do I accept I don't do characters. And I can. Because you can. You can accept that now. I can accept it. Yeah, I can just. You don't feel like you have to do it. I don't feel like I have <laughs> to do it. And I, you know what? And some of my favorite actors are just figure out how to. Hey, Robert De Niro does it. You know, it's just this much more. He doesn't. He's not, you know, Daniel Day Lewis. He doesn't absolutely become another person right he just becomes another version of robert de niro right you know and it's great yeah yeah and it's not the same guy the same the guy in 
Goodfellas is not the guy in Cape Fear. Right. No. But they're both Robert De Niro. That's right. Right. <laughs> the, the basis is there. You know what I mean? And then there's the guys, you know, when you're at something like Saturday Night Live, you can feel real inferior to a guy like Mike Myers who becomes a totally different person. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh, shit. And there's part of you that thinks, like, I'm never going to be able to I'm never going to. That shit, you know. Yeah. Beyond me. Uh, it's beyond. Dana Carvey is like, this shit is beyond me. Yeah. Why am I even here? Yeah. And, and, and how, how did that uh, sort of manifest itself? Because ultimately, do you, why did you leave? Why did I leave? I left. I left or was fired. No, I think I left. I got fired because I was leaving to go to Live in Color. What was that decision? The decision was like the culture is changing and I'm not a part of it. In what way? This shit is getting hip. This shit is getting blacker. This shit is getting fucking rappier. This right. shit is like, you know what I mean? Like, right. like back to SNL was like, I mean, it's still a pretty white show, but it's yeah. not. Back then it was, re I mean, when I got hired, I was the first black guy in like eight years. Right. And Living Color was just hip. Right. <laughs> she was like, this shit is hot, man. I just I wanted to be in an environment where I didn't have to really um, translate the comedy that I wanted to do, or be the representative of race on a show. That too, that too. So you know, I had these instances where they wanted me to do certain things at SNL. I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Like what? You know, whatever slave sketch or right. you bangy tribesmen or whatever. Where, not that they, I thought they were racist. I just thought that. If you're the only black face that's going to be seen for an hour and a half, it just doesn't, you know what I mean? It just, it, it, there's got to be more for me to do. There's got to be more, there's got to be, <laughs> or, or another black person. Yeah. Right. But, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but just it, one of me, you know, if there it, were two of it, us. Yeah, it, it just yeah. feels, it feels, it, I was, it feels racist. It doesn't, yeah. it's not racist. It just feels when you, that's all you see. Well, well, it also speaks to the fact that even if they're satirizing, even if they were satirizing the idea of like what Townsend did, where that black roles are always limited to, you know, criminals or slaves, even if they were satirizing that, they're still putting you in so, that situation. If you're a living color and you're, yeah. you bangy tribesman, there was another black thing before you and one after. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. There's a context. There's a context. Yeah. But that isn't racism in your mind. It's just the way things are. I mean, what that is that? That was just, that was, no one, by the way, every, the people at SNL are the nicest people ever. Yeah. I'm friends with everybody. There. Yeah. So it wasn't that. It was just, I mean, it was the same thinking that went on in the comedy clubs. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, right. You know, shit was all new for everybody. Right. But, but I, the reason for wanting to be on Living Color was just hip, man. And I had, you you know, history showed that I, that I had a sense of humor in me. But I was never going to be able to get, do that stuff at SNL. Just the stuff I did on my show, I never got to do that stuff on SNL. Um, and that's just because of the structure of that show. And you didn't have enough of a voice? It's not just me, you understand. This, this show's just not... I remember Wanda got hired to do... Wanda Sykes? Wanda Sykes, my love. She got hired to do a sketch show after my show, after she was on the Chris Rock show. I think it was Steve Martin was producing it. And she was happy, and I was happy for her. But it's like, I know that world. I know those white people. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Wanda, all they're going to want you to do... 
are things involving race or impressions of famous black people. They're like, you know. And what did she say? No. Yeah, I think it was no. And yeah. then like three months later, that's all they wanted. And that's all they do at SNL right now. Right. For black, you know what I mean? For right. black characters. Right. It's like, it's impressions of famous black people or something to do Which is odd. with race. But it's it's odd not. Eddie didn't do that. No, Eddie didn't do that. Eddie, I mean, he did a couple. But right. No, no, he did. He was right there in the thick of it with everybody else. So he wasn't fighting for for what you know be he what became him. He wasn't fighting to do Jerry Lewis or, or white characters. It just happened to be. He just happened to be so much better than everybody in the cast. Right. They had to run with it. And you so know. you think that that decision to to move to Living Color was your first real sort of awareness of 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 who you were as a comic and what it meant to be a, a black performer at that time. I don't know. It was just. Like, there is a, a growth of identity, you have to admit. There is your- a growth of identity. I, yeah, I didn't, it's weird, because I didn't want to be on for fucking, you know, and they're great people. I would have I been on there for, shit, the Meadows were up for 11 years. On, on SNL. Yeah, I would have been there fucking eight, nine years. But the, there was no point, in, there was nothing inside of you that said that, you know, now I can, you know, represent the uh, creative black community? There was no part of you that thought that. There was no, no no part of me at all. I just wanted to be, I just wanted a system that I my you know I just wanted an offense. You know, yeah, yeah. some guys are work different offenses. You know, it's in all sports, it's the system, and I just knew this wasn't the system for me. How much was race part of your act before, like when you were doing stand up, right before SNL and during SNL? It was a part of my act. I'm not gonna. It's always only been, I'm going to say, 20%. Right. You know, you watch any of the specials, okay, there's some race stuff in the beginning. By, but yeah. by minute 20-whatever, it's current events and relationships, man. But before, let's say before Bring the Pain and before SNL or during SNL, what was your audience? I mean, what, you know, in terms of the black audience? I didn't or have the- an audience. I mean, there were people that knew me because I was... You know, I guess when I do New Jack City, did New Jack City while I was on SNL. Like actually, the year before I did SNL, I did New Jack City. But it was such a low budget movie; I didn't think it was going to be anything. People were impressed with that. I mean, it, it did a lot to this day. People still talk about it. Um, and I was in the movie. I'm going to get you, sucker. And I actually had a little part in Beverly Hills Cop, two. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I wasn't. It's like you think you're famous then, but you, I wasn't really famous. I was I'm famous enough to get in a club. So Living Color, you were on, it was, you only on for a few months, right? Yep. And did you think that because... Then it got canceled. Did that, then, then were you panicked? I mean, did you feel that it was a mistake? A little bit. I mean, <laughs> it was weird sitting in my house watching SNL while my friends were on <laughs> fucking TV. It really was. Yeah. I'll never forget that first show. It was Charles Barkley was the host. Yeah. And Nirvana was the guest. Yeah. I was just like, wow. Uh, you were like, I should be there. Well, I didn't have a job, too. Right. It was like, <laughs> it was besides the aesthetic, it was just like, oh, shit. Yeah. I could be making four grand this week or whatever the hell they were paying me. And I'm not. And I'm not. I'm getting a spot at the strip for 40 bucks. Uh-huh. And is that where the panic set in? I don't know. You just, you know. You, you, you assess things. Right, but you didn't get you didn't have the HBO show yet. That wasn't I didn't have the HBO show, I had nothing. I just like knew 
I was on SNL. So, I mean, I was making enough. You know, you, you know, play the clubs, mm-hmm. have good weekends, yeah. made my bonuses. I was doing fine. It wasn't right. that. But I don't know. I just wanted to be a good. It was way. My main goal at that point in my career was to become George Wallace. Really? George Wallace. You wanted, um, to become, you wanted to be in Vegas every week? No, no. George Wallace, Dom Iera, uh Bobby Slayton. A big club comic. Big club comic. Rich Jenny. Right. Got you it. You wanted to work every weekend, make your bonuses, make a living. Make my bonuses. Spend your life on the road. If I could have become Rich Jenny yeah. or George Wallace, I would have been the happiest. That's, that was the goal. So to be a working comic. Be a working comic. It just went beyond that. But I'm still that. No, no, but, but it went beyond that. But that is exactly what you did. But you somehow or another, like all points converged on this, you know, on a moment that not everybody gets that moment. But you, you did the you did one hour special, which was good. And it probably got you to, to where Jenny I did, was. In I did a half hour special, won the Cable Ace Award. Never mm-hmm. won anything in my life. Then got the hour special. Which was Bring the Pain? Yeah, Bring the Pain. And that thing changed everything. It was, yeah, it was ridiculous. I, I'm still like, what the fuck? Now, when you were like, this is like the, the uh, something that's been going in my mind is that because, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of an open-minded guy and, you know, you want to learn things, how big of an effect did your relationship with uh, Nelson George have on, on, you know, developing your sensibility around modern conversations around race? It had, I mean, honestly, it's the biggest... It's the best thing that happened to me. And it's, it's weird. It's kind of what separates me from a lot of guys. Well, it was amazing because I remember years ago in the 80s, you, you know, reading him in The Voice and then reading, you know, I remember reading one thing uh, where he mentioned you, that he went jogging with you or you were walking or something. And I said, holy shit, you know, it's that relationship. It is that relationship. It, it separates me from guys I won't name. Because I actually, because I don't know any other smart, <laughs> he was my introduction to smart people. Yeah. I met Nelson because I wanted to, I'm trying to find somebody to write CB4 with. Mm-hmm. I had this idea, rap, spinal tap, whatever. And a friend of mine said, you should see Nelson. And I knocked on his door. And he was primarily a, a culture he, and music writer for yeah, George he, Voice, Billboard Magazine. Exactly. And, and made a bunch of money writing a Michael Jackson biography uh-huh. that he wrote it before Thriller. Uh-huh. For nine bucks, and then Thriller comes out, and he, <laughs> and the book sells through, <laughs> lucks up. Uh-huh. Anyway, and we wrote CB4, and we became friends writing that movie, and, you know, that relationship. Like, I know a smart person who introduced me to other smart people. <laughs> and, I mean, I knew smart comics, but I didn't know... Intellectuals. I didn't know intellectuals, and I, and Nelson introduced me to this world of intellectuals, of black intellectuals, and uh, like Stanley and Cornell and everybody. Stanley and Cornell, Bill Stephanie and the Hudlins, and you know, like all these people. So you were brought into this think tank almost about contemporary. Black I was culture brought and into the, and it was again. I'm Henry. I'm the kid in Bronx Tale again. So yeah. I'm the kid in Bronx Tale around Eddie With Murphy, Eddie, which taught you how to be a stand up. And then I'm the kid in Bronx Tale around these guys. Like, okay, just shut. Absorbing. Sh- Absorb. You know, my biggest talent is actually I know when to shut the fuck up. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> I just shut up and listened, and you know, took it all in. Because I, in my mind, from looking at your work as an outsider, it seemed that that transition, you know, from elevating the conversation, you know, about race that you were actually being witness to, 
you know, intellectually and how that informed your comedy was really the heart of that bit that defined your, your career. That and it's like, okay. Cause so, you wouldn't have done that bit on, on bring the pain like 10 years before that. It wouldn't have even really occurred to you. Probably wouldn't occur to me. Yeah. But the thing, you know what it is too, man? It's like, um, when you have no ambition, you don't really feel racism. You don't even feel it. You just, you're just you, another guy trying to you know, just get poor by. You're poor and you live where you live. Yeah. You, you live the effects of racism, but you don't feel racism. Yeah. When you start wanting to do shit <laughs> and wanting <laughs> to be <laughs> taken serious and, you know, yeah. that's when the shit hits you in the face. You're like, oh, shit. Like an example of that would be just the experience in retrospect at, at SNL or anywhere? Oh, yeah. Thing like that, if, if right, if I was just happy to be there, yeah, with no ambition, yeah, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't have wanted to leave, you know, aesthetics and all this stuff. And so that that knowledge started to inform your work. Yeah, it started for my work. Another thing with SNL. So you got, and they were great, but it's hard. It's harder for a black guy in SNL. And I was, okay, you would say me and Rob Schneider are equal comedians. Yeah, fine, right? But if Rob Schneider is talking to Downey or whoever the people that pick sketches or are pitching stuff because they share a culture. You know what I mean? When I mean, share a culture, they have kind of the same mothers and kind of the same dads. They grew up in the same. They, there's a shorthand that happens. And it, you know what I mean? Like they get the little things about them that make you funny. Right. And when you're the black guy, no one gets the little things. They just get the hits. They which don't, which they are don't bordering the, on stereotypical. Right. They don't get the album tracks. Right. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's, they don't really. So in and of itself, that's a, it's a pigeonhole and it, and, it, and it honors a stereotype because it's shallow. Yeah, in I a mean. Way. I'm not saying a, it's racist. In a way. Yeah, it's not racist. It's just. Their lack of understanding of the nuance of the culture. Well, that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. Yes. And so when you meet people and work, that would make, that would also answer to, you know, so using I, Living Color. So you go to Living Color or even my own show and I don't even, I'm pitching an idea and I don't even have to finish the idea for the person that I'm talking to to know what I'm going for. And Nelson was on your show, and right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, let's try. And they know because we share a culture. Yeah. You know? Right. But you also hired a lot of white guys to write on there. A ton of white guys. More white, more white guys than black guys. And to their credit, they immersed themselves in the culture. And, and by the way, we were, it wasn't just, you know, I liked my show. I liked that it was, not that, that it was mixed comedically too. Yeah. It wasn't just mixed racially. It was like, so we'd have the fucking hard, you know, over the top bit. And then we'd have some sly, weird Chuck Sklar shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. You weird know, Louis stuff. Some weird, weird Louis Tom shit. Agnes stuff. Yeah, we like I I I mean those are my my favorite stuff is really the weird shit. Tell you the truth. Uh, but like, when you started doing the Chris Rock show, then you you sort of yeah. and and you were aligned with 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 Nelson and you had a new brain about race. Then all of a sudden you become put in the position to be a spokesperson on some level, or to at least somebody who's going to address this on a weekly basis. I mean, I never bought into that stuff. Right. Well, that, that's why I say you were put in a position by other people. You I don't can, know you can, I mean, to me, that's, you know, Lauren Hill, probably Dave 
on some level. Chappelle? Yeah. Yeah. It happens with a lot of black entertainers. Yeah. It's like they think they have to be a spokesman. It's like money. Do they think that or are they put in that position? Are they asked questions that are... Well, people try to put you in that position, but you don't have to go where they tell you to go. You can just... (laughs) Hey. I mean, I know I have influence. Don't get me wrong. I know people, you know, watch me and feel a certain thing, but I also have a job. Mm -hmm. And my job is to just be funny. But you also do projects now, smaller projects that directly... Deal with intellectually and in a comedic way, like it was a good hair. Is that what that? Yeah, was? yeah. I mean, that I mean, was but a- I like doing that. I mean, put it this way: you got Bill Cosby and you got Dick Gregory, both amazing comedians, all that. You know, Dick stopped doing, you know, stand up or whatever uh, comedy for a while to be an activist, and you know, I, my hat's off. He's got a lot of courage. He's got a lot of interesting stories. He's got a lot of interesting stories. One of the first books I ever read was Nigger by Dick Gregory. But Bill Cosby might have gotten more done just telling jokes. The bigger you get, the more shit you can get done. I think that, yeah. And you have a responsibility. Your real responsibility is to get big. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, Bill Cosby himself is probably the... real, And I just really watched it in a deep way within the last couple of years. I think it's one of the most... It, that's how stand-up should be done. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's not like, you know, after years of Pryor and everything. I love Pryor. But... He's a, Bill Cosby's the greatest stand-up I've ever lived. It's true, right? I think so. I mean, don't get me wrong. To me, it's like, you know, it's the, it's the argument's always Bill Cosby, Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor is, Bill, is uh, Willie Mays. Mm-hmm. Willie Mays is the most exciting player ever. Right. No one argues that. Right. Yes. Most exciting, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Bill Cosby's Hank Aaron. Yeah, yeah. He's got the most home runs, <laughs> yeah. the most RBIs. He got three thousand nine hundred hit. Like it's yeah. like, buddy. And didn't what, what do you think like, of the agent? Undeniable. Cosby? The the agent Cosby because he came down on you, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't know any better. Do you talk to him about it? You know, he had me over for lunch one time, and what was that? He com- just kind of like shrugged it off. The, my people told me this thing, and he yeah. didn't address it personally. No, nah, no. Nah, there was didn't. none of that sort of like I don't know what you think you're doing. <laughs> what was the conversation? You know what it was with what Cosby? Like, with like, Cosby? like he was definitely put way. He was definitely pissed. But when he saw, and I'm and I'm just speculating about language, correct? Primarily language. And I remember I had that big toss salad man bit, and it was I had some dirty shit in that yeah. Bring the Pain special. Because in the beginning of Bring the Pain special. All these album covers pop up with all these great comedians, yeah. like Cosby and Woody and Pryor right, right, and Eddie right, and yeah. all this shit. And they, they wanted me to take it out. Really? Yeah. But I'm speculating Cosby was mad. But when he saw how I was, I was embraced by, you know, whatever you want to call it, intelligentsia, is that yeah, the word? sure. He kind of, Okay. But Cornell and Stanley said it was fine, so he's good. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I get, I get the sense of that. Uh, <laughs> I get, I get the sense of that. Yeah. And he sent me some books, you know. Oh, so he was trying to sort of passively suggest that maybe you should rethink you know, yeah. how you present yeah. blackness. He's, he's, he sent me some books. <laughs> like what? So how I, not to say the N word? No, I'm like, <laughs> I, I used to have the books up here. Um, sent me some Baldwin's, a couple of. Yeah. Couple of cool things. Um, we're cool now. We're, yeah. we're great. Yeah, that's good. We're great. I, I mean, I think I honored him. I was there with the Kennedy Center, and mm-hmm. 
gave him his Mark Twain Award or whatever. We're cool. Oh, good. All right. We're cool. I, I mean, I got a call the other day just about um, some charity event he couldn't make it to. Could I do it instead of him? You know, whatever. And, and do you feel like, because like I have these conversations, uh, you know, like I, you know, I talk to Kamal a lot. And I, that there, do you, is there, when you look at the, the black comedy community, which there is one, just a comedy community but right uh, no 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 but i mean you know there there is there what is that because i've always tried to deal with this my, myself because I'm, I'm interviewing a lot of comics and i and i have a hard time getting to some people bruce bruce you got bruce bruce yet? i want bruce bruce i, I want earthquake bruce. i want uh, i want <laughs> I cat bruce williams bruce. i mean you know, no, the cat's gonna be hard to get no but, i know i know but earthquake i love those guys i love bruce bruce i love what's earthquake. Your relationship with them i mean because cool, i think we're cool i mean i i'm I'm older than those guys, or not maybe physically older, but doing it longer than them. So it's not like we did a lot of gigs together or anything. Right, but there's a, a difference between you and, and like Richard Pryor and Eddie and, and Bill Cosby in terms of having a sort of crossover uh, act. But there's definitely people that draw black audiences and play to black audience almost exclusively. No, but here's what you got to realize. Okay. We're in the era of cable television. Yeah. Okay. Because this could apply to the white guys, too. In the era of cable, with the era of the internet, and me, Cosby, whatever, even Chappelle. Chappelle's like the last great comic, the last great multi whatever, the black comic that appeals to everybody. Cause you, we're you know Dave and me and all, we're from an era of twelve channels on television. Right. You know what I mean? Like no, I get that. At at our core. That's what we grew up with. Yeah. And it was that way until we were fucking 20 years old. Right. There were 12 fucking channels on television. Right. And when there was 12 channels on television, everybody, watched everybody had to appeal to everybody. Right. I get that. Everybody. There was no, that was your th- way of thinking. You right. didn't, you couldn't. And that determined a lot of like uh, racial dynamics. Who the fuck's blacker yeah. than James Brown? Right. Nobody's right. blacker than James Brown. He appealed to every... There's nothing blacker than James Brown. That's right. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> you know, earthquake's black? Shit, James Brown is black. Yeah. But there was a showmanship. There was a... Yeah. Um, he appealed to everybody. And people that are from that era are, more, are broader. And now you got, you know... People go for the specific audience, yeah, I mean, and that's enough. I mean, Earthquake's audience is no bigger or smaller than Dimitri Martin's audience. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sure. It's, you know, I love Dimitri. Dimitri's like one of my favorites, too, by the way. You know what I mean? But everybody's niched out now. That's just what it is. So you're yeah. going to tell me that you, in, so, in, in 2011, you're going to say to me that there, there are no color lines, just, just niche marketing. It's, I'm just saying, if, if. What's my, what's my man? Oh, come on, who's the guy from Seattle? Jake Johansson. Jake Johansson. Okay. I'm sorry. Cat Williams is playing 5,000 people. Jake Johansson's playing 1,000 people or 700 in a club. Jake Johansson ain't pop. Mm-hmm. The 5,000 is pop. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jake Johansson's the niche. Yeah. Okay. Not, not the guy in front of 5,000 people. Ron White. Yeah. That's not niche. That's not a color line. The Ron White people are totally separate from the Jake Johansson people. They have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> no, I get that. Do, but those, those worlds don't 
across at all. But, the, but there are such things as black but, rooms, but black guess what? comedy circuits. 20 years ago, yeah. 40 years ago, all that shit mixes up. Andy Griffin, one, one of the first great stand-ups. Yeah. People don't remember Andy Griffin was a great... As country as anybody, as blue-collar as anybody, was appealed to everybody. Okay. You yeah, know what I mean? I get it. You know what I mean? Wasn't Roy Rogers a stand-up, I yeah, believe? Yeah, uh, Roy Rogers, yeah. Will Rogers. Will Rogers is a yeah. stand-up. As country as you can get. Yeah. Fucking Hatton. Last, it appealed to everybody. That era, that shit's done. No, I get that. That that era's done. I just think it's done. And. But don't you think on some level that in this age of internet and cable television, did you say that it, it insulates people more than brings people together? I mean, I, you know, I understand that everybody's got their It does their insulate niche. people more. I mean, by the way, I think more, I mean, just as many white kids are like Kevin Hart as black kids. Well, he's like, he's the next guy. White college kids loved him some Kevin Hart. Right. You know. But even like in the past, though, when you look at, you know, the, the black comics like Pygmy Markham, Moms Mabley, all those cats, you know, were not playing for everybody until later in their careers. Yeah, like Satchel Paige, but not until they were allowed to. Okay. Once they were allowed to. You know, that Red, it's okay. Red Fox, Chitlin Circuit. How so, fun. the so day, funny. The day he got, they let him on regular TV. It was never Everybody. the same. That's right. You know what I mean? And that's 12 channels. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll follow it all the way through then. I'll, I'll go with you on that. Yeah. Red, <laughs> Red Fox, you know. Arguably one of the funniest people ever. Probably. The, you know what I mean? He's not the greatest comedian. But he's but he's funny. Than, he's one of those he's guys. Funnier than everybody. You know, you know that like there's a few of those guys around where you know you you see those people in life, when, especially in comedy, that there's certain guys that cannot help but be funny, always, no matter what, even if they're being serious. I don't know two Red Fox jokes. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? but, but just you know Red Fox. But Red, please, everything about. I don't want to go on stage after him. Yeah, I don't want no parts of that. Speaking of that, I just followed your brother, and that was no easy trick. My brother fucking every night, man. Kills. My brother's a fucking Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't seen him in a long time, and I never worked at the Laugh Factory. I went there for my first set, and he did 35 minutes before my 15 or 20, and I was like, oh, fuck. Kills. Yeah. Every night. How many members of the Rock family are doing stand-up now? Three. Two brothers and a cousin? Or uh, one brother three, and a yeah, cousin? Two brothers and a cousin, yeah, I guess. So, but me. <laughs> but Tony's doing real well. Sherrod does well. And then the other brother started recently, right? Yeah, he just started. Which one's that? Jordan. Now, what, what's their decision on that? I, you know what? That's what they want to do, fine. I, don't, I, don't, I try to... The thing is, I'm still doing my shit. Yeah. So it's not like people are like, oh, man, are you, are you mentoring? Are you doing money? I'm writing jokes. Yeah. Like, I'm trying not to bomb. And you get along with those guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love them to death. <laughs> you know? Say, so, yeah, I got Laker tickets. Let's go. But, you know, and if they ask a question, I'll answer it. But yeah. I'm not like. Do they ask questions? Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never. I do this on my but own. I, but I would, I would answer anything. But I'm out here trying to, you know. I'm trying to get my next hour and a half together to go on the road and, you know, and I'm, when you I'm trying to not be, you know, become a banquet fucking, you know, I call banquet them banquet hall comedians. Yeah, I call them the banquet comedians that only kill at, you know, the March of Dimes. And shit. Right, right. You and know, kill with the room full of people that love them or yeah, it's a charity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now let's talk about that that uh, the the issue of uh, you know Chris Rock running material in a small club versus Chris Rock you know going on stage at uh, at an arena because I've seen you go on stage and you almost sleep through some jokes like I've seen you with new jokes where you won't put any inflection on them you'll 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 literally just say them and in my mind I think it's just to see the the whether the joke as it is written 
Yes, it's like I want to believe work. that the joke without you juicing it will kill no matter what. That this act could be done behind a curtain. Right. <laughs> so you you know that you're doing that on purpose. I'm doing yeah. So there's a part of me like so you'll go up there and risk tanking. It's like come on, there's no tanking. It's just I mean, it's a sta- you know, if I go to so weird. I mean, you've been doing it long enough. Yeah. You, you've been doing it so long, you can just will yourself to have a decent set. Right. Just, especially at a, sometimes. At Not the, always. At the, you know, at the cellar. You yeah, kind of. You know, that room, sometimes I, I walk off stage here going, I know how to do this, correct? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess at the risk of tanking. But, I mean, I have a bigger goal. I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking. So the fact that, like, maybe 200 people walk out going, what the fuck was wrong with Chris? Who cares? And, I mean, and that's, you know. The, le- the Legend of Pryor. You know who I really learned that from, though? Damon Wayans. Watching him work out material. Oh, he used to say that before he went on at the comedy store. I'd go, you're going to do your shit? He goes, no, I think it's going to be a jazz set. He's the best at that shit. Like, I know. Has an act. It works. Fuck you. Yeah. You, go, you don't know what he's going to do. I'm already famous. This is the gym. Yeah, I saw him go on. He did his, like, you know, the, the cerebral palsy guy for, like, 25 minutes once. Where he's just like, oh, can't, he's acting like a, a... And he's looking, he's looking. Yeah, yeah. He's trying, he's mining for fucking, like, okay, it's going to come eventually. And how long do you, like, do you, do you keep going back to jokes? Because I just recently started, like, if you've got a long joke, when you do it like that with no inflection and no juice behind it, you know, what do you learn from that? You know, what do you take out and what do you not? I mean, I watch the tape. Yeah. I get the DVD or whatever and yeah. I watch it. And I see where they laughed and I see, you know, you see where you fucked up. Yeah, like, oh, no, if I put that word here, oh, fuck, I, sh- I stepped on it earlier without knowing. You know, you just need jokes. I mean, it sounds like fucking Henny Youngman. It sounds like you need jokes. So there's, right, but there's nothing, you don't ever go up there with, you know, how much extemporaneous stuff do you, because the one thing I realized about your last special was interesting the way you decided to edit it. Was that, was that, you, you know, there's one thing that's like, this is wild. He's doing this all over the world. But part of me as a comic, I, I had this moment where I'm like, well, now they're going to know we're, this just the same jokes everywhere you go. Well, I mean. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? They are the same jokes everywhere you go. That's where I, I mean, I play all these countries now. Yeah. I mean, you do have to tweak it. Right. You do have to tweak the show. I mm-hmm. mean, but it's no different than fucking rock band. No, no, of course saying, not. Of course not. Hey, New York, how's it going? They fucking slip the words New York into the song. Right, sure, and sure. And they slip Boston right. in tomorrow right. night no, I when get they're it. in Boston. Yeah. But there's a, there's a point where that's part of the work is making those fucking jokes work and making them work over and over again. And that's it. It's weird. I don't like that special that much anymore. Because of what I just said? No, no, it's oh. weird. I've been I mean, writing, looking at shit. I'm like, I think I was too, um, I think I did too many shows. Like, I was just, I was like, right? just kind of screaming the whole thing. I oh, yeah. I was playing, the places I was playing were so big, and it was just, I just want to, I want to bring it down. Right. <laughs> like a notch. Well, let's talk about that real quick. Like, because I've always, like, when I've talked to you as a person and as a comic and offstage, you know, you're thoughtful, you're soft-spoken. Now, how much, like, where, because you definitely all of a sudden, like, probably would bring the pain, maybe a little before that, decided, like, this is the Chris Rock on stage. And you, you, were, you were stalking, you were pacing, and there was, it was an amplification. I'm not saying it's not you, but there is a definite difference. There's a performance element to it. And I think that's what I was missing. Right. And I think everybody needs some level of performance element. And it, 
It can be low key too. No, obviously, yeah. you know what I mean. Like, right. Shit, Mitch Hedberg wasn't that spaced out on stage. You know what I mean? Like, well, he's pretty spaced out on stage. But, but I mean, he, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you I know, know what you mean. He yeah. turned it on a little. Bit. Right. You find that part of yourself that lives up there. You know what I mean? But how how much of that do you remember the first time you did it, or did it just sort of happen? I mean, I was getting better playing yeah. the clubs, getting more confident. But you know. I, other black comics. It was weird. When I started working here, it was just, so you work catch in the strip and there's not any black guys. Yeah. And here's the bad thing about that. You only get compared to people that look like you, ultimately. So in a weird way, it's like having no competition. Even though you're, you're trying to have but, a But set. again, there was, that, there, was a, there was a black comedy world that was very over the top in a lot of ways. And it really had a fight to hold their audience. Yes, but the style. I watched Def Comedy Jam came out, watching Martin, watching guys, and it's like, you realize the best, the worst Def Comedy Jam is better than the best evening at the improv. That's right. Because everybody fucking performs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Even if the jokes are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> they fucking In spite of that. throw, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm talking at the last season of Def Jam where. Mm-hmm. You know, Martin's not even a host anymore. Yeah. Those shows are better than any evening at the Improv. Because the guys are really performing. And I just realized I had to perform. Somewhat. You know? Yeah. I'm from a family of preachers, man. Like, my, not my dad, but my granddad, my great-granddad. You grew up with it? Yeah. But I mean, like, you saw your grandfather preach? Yeah. Yeah, like, like a lot. So I was around that shit. And I watched my grandfather take notes and work on his sermons. And I, like, and you knew it was an act. Yeah, I knew it was an act. <laughs> and um, so I kind of, I don't know. I just like you gotta work this shit. You can't take it for granted. And that and made the difference, huh? It made a lot of difference. And you know, I, I like to tell guys, you know, great show in a club could be a horrible show in a theater. Like, you start playing these theaters, man. They saw Elvis Costello in the same theater the night before you. Yeah. Or they saw a prince in the same fucking arena the night before. And you're held to that standard. Right. You can't pull out your notebook and... You know what I mean? Like, really we see yeah. fucking... We're at Radio City Music Hall. Yeah. We see great entertainers here. Yeah. Are Inter- you going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? Like, this is where... I'm sitting in the same spot. I saw a fucking Michael Jackson or whatever the yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you got? Yeah. I want you to do that without a band. <laughs> right. Without right. a fucking light show. Without, you know what I mean? Like, right. you got to fucking bring it. Yeah. You know, some of us, you know, watching Eddie and watch, you know, look, you got you got to give them something. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can le- lean on your stool in the club. Yeah. <laughs> but you better get off it when you're in the big room. <laughs> you got to fucking get up. Unless you're Bill Cosby. Unless you're Bill Cosby. <laughs> Unless you're... Unless you're that fucking genius. Dude, that's the amazing thing about watching Bill Cosby himself is like, it's not even a stool. It's a, it's like a kitchen chair. It's like a fucking, yeah. <laughs> and he's just leaning back, holding the mic at a weird angle. Well, now he's like a bluesman. I mean, you, yeah, to see true. him that's true. in the CBB King, it's not that different. That's they right. cut, yeah, they yeah. sit in the spot and they fucking... And they just do it. They play their acts, man. Did you learn, like I learned, and I talk about this a lot now because I came so late to really getting it. Was that there's where you realize as a comic watching Bill Cosby himself is that like he's deciding what's funny and he's making it funny. 
Yeah. There, you know, you look at that stuff on paper, there's no saying that that's going to be funny. I mean, that's how I'd like it, too. I don't, I like to, I don't think in five specials I've had three funny topics. I like to dig myself out of a hole. I like to pick the worst shit. You know, I was on stage the other night talking about the sex drive and how strong it is. And Japan has this, this amazing, this insane um, earthquake and all these people die and this nuclear reactor is going off. And I guarantee you, nine months from that earthquake, children are fucking born. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people got to get some rubble pussy. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm getting me so like, Yeah, if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, I think definitely people are like it's like when when shit is going down, you better find someone to fuck or jerk off or something. Yeah, get me out of this terror. Yeah, did that work out? Yeah, we got a big laugh. So big do laughs. You, do you get afraid of uh, you know tapping yourself out experientially? You know, in material. I mean, how's everything going at home? Good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Am I worried about tapping myself? No, not really. Shit happens. I mean, I, I I'm been lucky. I mean, people are like, why do you do so many movies and why are you doing this stuff? I gotta give myself a break. So I don't. I haven't been on the road in three years. Really? Yeah. So now I'm working out. Yeah. I'll probably have a set or whatever by January, February. You know, sometime in yeah. February, March, I'll be at Benny Brands every night Doing for the fucking hour. yeah, and then then I'll take it out. But um. That's where you go. <laughs> I you like go. it there. Do they show the uh, the uh, the reel of uh, car wrecks and stuff before you go on? Yeah, they do all that shit. <laughs> Is the payphone still on stage? I love it. I fucking love it. It's just far enough away from my house. I get a nice drive. <laughs> How you been feeling about your your acting? Good. Good. Lately, I mean, the play went well. Yeah, well, that was the first time you ever did that. First time I ever. You got did. good. You got good press on that, and the and the movies have been. I didn't see the funeral movie. Funeral movie did fine. And the uh, I yeah. saw the other one, the relationship movie. That one did okay. Yeah, that was yeah, good. So. I'm good. I'm having, you know, man. I'm having fun. What was the stage experience like? What was the stage experience what was, was the, the greatest experience ever? <laughs> it's like okay, hey, it's the hardest thing you ever do, what was but, the play but it's also again? very easy. It's called the motherfucker with the hat. It's great just being out of your comfort zone. Oh yeah, and to be in that, and to be on stage and not be expected to get laughs necessarily, and and live in that moment. I had um, I'm bragging right now. Name yeah. drop, name drop coming. Had dinner with Woody Allen. You did. Yeah. And uh, did you see the show? He hadn't seen the show. But, um, what brought on the dinner? I was in Rome with my family on vacation, and I bumped into Sun Yi. Mm-hmm. I said, what's up? And I didn't make, you know, I didn't even pressure her because I don't bother her. And next thing I, know, I get a call, hey, Woody wants to have dinner. So, and I assume since he's filming a movie in Rome, eh, it'd be us and 10 people, me right. and my wife. It's like me, my wife, Woody, Sun Yi. It was great. But um, what, what, what happened? <laughs> we talked, we talked, we talked. But I, he knew about the play. And the first thing he says to me is like, well, didn't you find it easy? No, I didn't find it easy. But parts of doing a play are not, are easier than stand-up. A, you're doing stand-up, you got to do a fucking hour and a half by yourself. And it's yours. It's yours. There's other people on stage. Yeah. There's all these, all these crutches yeah. that you don't have in stand-up. It's not all on you. No, no, but it was, I found it funny that Woody would say, you know. Yeah, it's easy, right? It was easy, right? I was like, damn. Did you, were you able to, like, do you work well with other people? I mean. Yeah. I mean, you got people. No, you, no, what else did you fucking talk to Woody Allen about? <laughs> Dude, I was so nervous. I mean, how, where does he figure into your. He's my favorite. You see that big yeah, poster? In the other room, yeah. <laughs> he like, is your favorite? He's my favorite. He's the best. Woody Allen's the best. 
Woody Allen is not the best stand-up. He's a great stand-up, by the way. He is a great stand-up. But, but there's just that that two-record set. That's all you get. The two-record set. That's all you get. Isn't it amazing that you think you've made more stand-up than Woody Allen? Yeah. Isn't that some shit? Yeah. Well, he does make a movie on the, every he does 10 make minutes. A, but he's <laughs> the best, the greatest comic mind in the last 100 years since Chaplin. Yeah. And, and you love him. Who the fuck's been that funny that long? I know. Who? <laughs> yeah. Really? Uh-huh. You know. And what'd you t- what else did you talk about? Comedy? Comedy a little bit. Was Politics. It- he's, he's, you know, he likes Obama more than me. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's, he's like old school Jewish lefty? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. My man is, yo, don't talk about his president. Yeah, I find that. Hey, what, well, what, what's your take on him? I mean, well, Obama, I'm happy. I mean, the, the, the first term, there's a fucking art to a first term, man. He got handed a pretty fucking stinky bag of shit. Because you're always running for the second term the whole time. So you just. You can't. It's like Clinton's first term. It's like you can't really do your gangster shit to your second term. Uh huh. You just got to make that cut. You got to make it. You you just got to make it. You can't really. Even Bush. Yeah. Couldn't really fuck up the world. Till his second term, like, yeah. like, like yeah. that's when he put the hammer down on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the president, man. I mean, you know, I'm like everybody. I want more action, but I understand that he's, you know, trying not to piss off a lot of people. But I believe wholeheartedly if he's back in, he's going to do some gangster shit. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even been waiting for that. Don't you ever? Don't don't you have those moments where you see him talk in a certain situation where you're like, "How come not more of that?" Yes, yes. And what do you think the answer to that is? As a performer, well, just, why can't you just do your show? Well, you know what it is. I think George Bush, the last George Bush we had, was the first cable TV president we had. And what I mean by that, and a callback to earlier, he was the first president that was only president to the people that voted for him. Right. He did not give a fuck <laughs> about, about the people that didn't vote right. for him. Which is not what a president should do. Really. What, what, you know, and o- Obama is actually trying to be president to the whole country. And, you know, there's a lot of compromise being president to the whole country. Yeah, and there's also a lot of hits you got to take from people who will see that as a vulnerability. Yeah. To get so, the next guy that'll only play the them in. So he's trying to do it all Hopefully school. by now he's learned his lesson. Yeah. Bush in a weird way, our complaints about Obama is because we miss Bush. <laughs> we miss it hating somebody. We miss hating some but we miss like the guy that didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about yeah. these other You Bush, kinda want that. Bush didn't give a fuck about us. Yeah. He just really, really didn't. And we kinda want our own we want revenge. We don't want justice. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the problem with the Democrats. <laughs> we want revenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, um, are you going on tonight? Uh, not tonight. I just got home, but I'll probably go on like Sunday. Oh, that's good. Maybe I'll get on then. <laughs> it's all me? Come on. I'm kidding, man. Come on. No, no. At least I'm working on something. I know. I don't come in there just jerking off. And no, no, you never do. <laughs> and sometimes you actually just do what you're going to do. I wonder if Dave's going to go down there. Has he been going out? He's been going up. But he's, now, if he goes up, you're not going to get up. He's no, doing no, like I, three I, hours. I leave, yeah. But I'd like to see him. Is he all right? He was funny as fuck last time I saw him. Last week? Last week. Oh, God, he was funny. And he's still in town. 
I think he's still in town. I mean, we went up back to back. He was clearly funnier. Okay. <laughs> he, was, he was clearly the superior comedian of the night. Yeah. How'd that make you feel? Hey, man. I'm fine. I'll, really? I'll have my day. <laughs> you had a couple. I'll have my day. You'll have another day, you mean? <laughs> I'll, I'll have, there'll be another day. There'll be another day. There'll be a day. Hey, he's come to my show and been like, oh, shit. So. <laughs> you so, guys get along all right? Yeah. Hey, man. Chappelle's the only man that puts fear in my heart. Yeah. I'm like, God damn, I don't want to go on. Yeah. <laughs> He's fucking funny, man. This shit is ridiculous. All right, thanks, Chris. Thanks for talking. No problem, man. Okay, that's it. That's our show, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. I had a, I had a, a lovely chat. I, I it was, uh, it was an honor to speak to Chris Rock. In all honesty, uh, very smart, very accessible, very funny. Enjoyed it. Okay, is that all right? If I enjoy something, thank you. What are you going to do now? Go to WTFPod.com, get on that mailing list, check out the episodes, kick a few shekels into the pot, get an app for iPod, iPad, iPod Touch, Droid, get those back episodes. Here's a couple things I want to tell you, though. The Christmas holidays are coming up, and under the merch section, we're going to be putting some new stuff up there. We're going to refill the posters. We got the mugs. We got the shirts. Now we're going to have buttons. Uh, we're going to have tote bags. We're going to put a little package together for the WTF fan in your life. Dig it. Am I selling a Christmas present? Am I selling a Christmas present? I am. We're also working on, now don't push me on this, but it should be done soon, uh, within a month or so. We're going to put all the first 100 episodes on MP3 and make those available in a two-CD set with some uh, exclusive video footage. Look forward to that if you look forward to things like that. What else? I think that's about it. Punchline tonight through Saturday. That would be at this at this listening, November 3rd through 5th. Come down if you can. Uh, thank you, Chris Rock, for talking. We will talk. Well, I will talk to you guys next week. A lot of great shows coming up. Seriously. We good? Okay. Is Boomer in? Boomer? Buddy? Boomy? Nope.